this year I have been the recipient of a lot of meaningful hospitality. And so I thought I would just share with you a few examples um, of what that looked like. So the first one that came to my mind was a friend who likes to have me over and I always say, would you like to meet at a coffee shop? And she says, no, I'd like you to come over to my house. And so I come over and she lives in this very cozy, kind of small, older home. And she's an artist. And so one of the reasons I like to go to her house is it's sort of like a little slice into her as a person because you get to just see the ways that she has kind of arranged things and some of the beautiful things that she's made. And I always just love going over there and being in her home and being received into her company and we always have a great time. And then I thought about a friend of mine who has several kids and she's a working mom, she has a full-time job. And recently she invited our family um, to come into their home. It was a Friday, she just worked a full week. Um, she invited us to come over and have Papa Murphy's pizza, which is the take and bake kind. Um, and she asked us to bring a salad or a vegetable plate and we just played games and we hung out and the kids ran around and we prepared the food sort of as we got there and we just had a great time connecting and playing games. It was fantastic. And the third thing that came to mind is um, our family is part of a small group and we meet a couple times a month as a small group. But this summer, um, one of the women invited the women in the group to come and just sit on her back porch. Um, everybody brought like a simple appetizer. She provided drinks and we just spent an evening of just sharing company, of sharing stories and laughing and connecting and having a great time. And the thing that stood out to me about all three of these things is that none of the women in any of these stories lived in a large house. Um, two of them were renters. Um, none of them were immaculate and all of them were simple that nobody did anything that was major other than inviting somebody to come into their home and have a meaningful connection with them. And so they weren't profound, but they were profound relationally. And that's the point that as a culture that we have begun this process of trading simple acts of hospitality for highlights on social media and curated events that we are losing the art of a simple act of hospitality. Well, I think part of that is because simple acts of hospitality feel a bit vulnerable, that we're aware um, that maybe our home isn't perfect, that maybe our kitchen is a little bit out of date, like mine, my kitchen is actually older than I am. Or maybe we're aware that it's a little bit messy, or in some cases a lot messy, Maybe our home is very on point and it looks great, but we're aware that we aren't, that we don't really know what it is we have to offer, um, that we're a little bit afraid maybe this will be awkward, maybe they'll say no. There's this aspect of vulnerability that comes with simple acts of hospitality. But what we're gonna be talking about today is how simple acts of hospitality actually invite people in to experience Jesus. So this fall, we're in the book of Matthew, um, and we have been looking at Jesus' priorities, and specifically his priorities for people that are living under him. And one of the emphases of Jesus in the book of Matthew is the virtue of humility. So Matthew specifically emphasizes humility as the foundation, as the foundation of life together for Jesus' people, specifically his church. Today, we're gonna be in Matthew 18, and I wanna share just a little bit with you about the context of Matthew 18. 
Um, so I think it's important to note that Matthew 18 is a turning point in the book of Matthew, that um, there's lots of stories of Jesus' teachings and things he has done, and now Jesus is turning, and he's specifically giving his followers um, teachings about the culture or the ethos of what it means to be part of the church, and he is giving a vision for what the church could look like after his departure, which is coming quickly. And just ahead of this, in Matthew 17, right before today's passage, Jesus predicts his death for the second time, and he does this clearly, and the disciples kind of get it. And the way that the disciples respond is by this. Matthew says, and the disciples were filled with grief. Okay, they were filled with grief after hearing about Jesus predicting his own death. And so this is the reality of where we are today in Matthew 18. So you can join with me. Um, This is verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So we want to set the stage a little bit that Jesus has, like I said, predicted his death. They are grieved. This is also a group of younger guys (laughs) that have this question regularly. Like this is a big part of of the gospels, of them kind of angling and asking questions around status. Um, And I think there's a practical aspect of this in light of them grieving and knowing that Jesus is going to die, that they genuinely want to know who is going to be in charge. Like, what is that going to look like? But I also want to point out that the word greatest is actually a phrase of not just who's going to practically do the things, Um, But it's also related in this particular cultural context to the highest rank. That they are asking who is the top dog, um, who is the one that is not just going to do the leadership work, but is going to do the leadership work because they are at the top in terms of the status. And this is how Jesus responds. So this is verse 2. He called a little child to, to him and placed the child among them. Okay, so he called the child to himself, and then he placed it in the middle of them. Um, Commentators say that this child was likely pretty little, probably a toddler or a preschooler. And it's important to note that their culture and the way that they viewed children was a little different than how we do today. That for them, uh, the child was seen as the nobody. That they were at the bottom of the rank. um, That they had no power. That they had no ability to make any kind of decisions. They were totally dependent. And they would have sort of been on par with a servant or even a slave. That that would be the social status of a child in this day and age. And so keeping that in mind, this is what Jesus teaches. So verse 3, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so I think the key to understanding Jesus' teaching here is this phrase, takes the lowly position of this child. Okay, so you can imagine the child is right in front of them and he's using it as a time of illustration. So this passage is really about social status, that it's not really about becoming like a child like we might think, like full of wonder and creativity, and like certainly those are beautiful things about children that we would like to emulate. 
But this passage here specifically is really about social status and identifying with the low status of somebody like a child. So as this child has no power um, and is totally dependent in every way, Jesus is giving us a strong teaching about what it means to be a true disciple. And I like the way that the CSB puts it. It's a little bit more literal. The CSB says this, truly I tell you, unless you turn, okay, so we're going to talk about that word, turn, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles, another word, humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so this word turn, so remember I read that, unless you turn, is when you go back and you see other ways that it's used in the New Testament, the thing that stood out to me is it's actually a turning of the body. That all of the other times that it's used, it's not so much about turning in your mind, although clearly Jesus is using it that way, but it's a physical turning around. And the image that came to my mind as I thought about that is he's talking about social hierarchy and social status. So imagine that you as a person or we as people are climbing up this, this staircase and we are sort of angling and fighting and trying to do all the right things um, to, to get just a little bit higher on the staircase that we are maybe promoting ourselves in a certain way, that we are finding um, relationships with the right people, that we are working hard, and all of this is to raise, 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 to be higher on the social status and the, and the social hierarchy. And Jesus is compelling us. He says, actually, what I want you to do is I want you to turn. I want you to turn and walk back down that staircase and go to the bottom, go to the lowly or the humble place. And literally, that's what humble means. <laughs> it means the lowest place, the lowly place, the valley. That's what it means to humble yourself. And I think it's important for us to note that Jesus invites us into this. May I say he commands us into this, that it is the way to true discipleship. But he does not just ask this of this. He models it. And the first place that this is modeled in the book of Matthew is actually modeled at the very beginning um, where Matthew tells us about the birth story. And we begin to see that Jesus comes to earth as a little child. And the creator of heaven and earth chooses to humble himself literally by being born as a baby to a vulnerable young woman. And so this is the first illustration in the book of Matthew of what it might look like to humble yourself, that Jesus himself does it. And then in Matthew 11, Jesus models again. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this is the part I really want you to listen to. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Okay, that word humble, same word that he uses here in Matthew 18 in the original language. So Jesus is setting the standard that what it means is to take, to take his yoke is to merge in yourself with him in your humility and your gentleness. Okay, same idea. And lastly, we learn in Philippians 2 from Paul's writings, um, starting uh, verse 5 here, Philippians 2. 
in your relationships with one another, so same idea here in Matthew 18, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And then Paul goes on. He talks about how he humbled himself by being obedient on the cross and how God exalted him through that process. So Jesus himself models that the way to go up is to go down. And that is the example. Well, then there's a turning point here in Matthew 18, verse 5. And at this point, um, Jesus kind of pivots us. So he's talking about how the, the posture that he wants us to be as disciples, which is to be humble, um, which is to be lowly, which is to put ourselves in a lower status intentionally. And he pivots and he starts talking about what does it look like for us to treat other people, specifically treating other people in the body of believers. And so verse five, read with me. He says, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Or as the CSB says, and whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. And so Jesus is starting to give us some pretty strong teaching about the way that we are to treat other people and specifically the way that we are to treat vulnerable people. All right, so it's not just about little children, although they are certainly vulnerable, but it's about a category of people who are vulnerable. And I think there's applications across the board of how we should treat other believers here, because in a sense, we're all little children and we're all vulnerable. Well, it's interesting to me that immediately after this teaching in Matthew 18, he bookmarks it with the parable of the lost sheep. So he's here pointing to another example of a parable of somebody in, an, in a vulnerable position, in this position, a sheep who is lost in a vulnerable position. And in that parable, uh, the shepherd runs after the sheep and restores him to the flock. So this is sort of a, a different way of saying the same thing. And so the word that Jesus gives us here of how to treat these little children um, is the word welcome. Okay, so he uses that word twice um, to indicate a sense of seriousness or importance. And really that word welcome is he's indicating a posture of hospitality. Okay, so it's often translated as hospitality in other parts of the New Testament. And hospitality, simply put, um, is not just a gift that some people have, <laughs> which, which it is, um, but it's a general call to anybody who has been welcomed by Jesus to, to share a sense of welcome. Um, the literal definition is to take somebody's hand. So I like that word picture. Um, and welcome is a bit of a lost art these days. As I talked about at the beginning, that we are a culture that is sort of moving towards what I would describe as curated events. <laughs> that um, often when we are invited to something, it is like, like a baby shower or a wedding or something that's sort of Pinterest worthy. And we have lost the art of welcome, um, of simple acts of welcome. And we have an invitation here in this passage to move that forward. So as I was thinking about, well, what does this look like? There's a couple of things that came to mind. One was that I have recently, was just listening to the news or something, and I heard that the Surgeon General of the United States has just published like this huge paper 
on how the number one health concern in the United States right now is loneliness. That loneliness, that 50% of Americans are considered lonely and that it's contributing to all kinds of mental health problems and physical health problems. So I went and found the paper that he'd written and here's a couple points that he made. So he said, Americans appear to be becoming less socially connected over time. And as you, as you dig into that, it basically means they have less friends. Americans have less friends now than they ever had before. And then the second point, which is related to this idea of welcome and welcoming little ones, is he writes this. He says, memberships in organizations that have been important pillars of community connection have declined significantly in this time. So what he's talking about is all kinds of pillars of organizations, but certainly church is one of the most important, that people are leaving organizations, including churches. And the result is, is that they have less social connections and they have less hope and they are less healthy. And so Jesus has a lot to say about people leaving the church and he does not mince metaphors. Um, so here's what he has to say. And perhaps you'll be surprised because he is talking more about the cause of it than the person who left. So verse six, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse seven, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. And so this is a very sobering word. That Jesus has great sorrow over those who are stumbling. For example, we see in the, in the parable of the lost sheep, those who have strayed from the flock. And I think it's important for us to note that sometimes this word stumble is translated as sin, that the people who are stumbling are sinning. Um, but the commentators pretty much agreed when I read all of the books that the point is really not about sin, that the greater point that Jesus is making here is that people are stumbling and they are falling and they are taken out of the race. That it isn't so much about the sin that they are doing, it's that there are factors maybe inside or outside of their control that are causing them to stumble, to fall, and to no longer be in the race or be in the church. And as he talks about why that is, he says, he says, woe, like the two woes, right? There's the woe to the world, and those are the things that come along that are sort of somewhat inevitable, that we live in a broken world and people are drawn in all kinds of ways. And he also talks about woe to the person who, with whom they come. And that is related to the millstone image. Um, that the reality is, is that this passage is a very strong warning to the church that we are to protect the vulnerable, and that Jesus takes spiritual abuse very seriously. So I'm just going to take a moment and let that settle in for all of us, that as we are in the midst of all kinds of things in the news about vulnerable people being treated poorly in the church, that Jesus has something significantly significant to say about that, and he treats it very seriously. Then on the flip side of that, there's sort of this category of woe to the world, which Jesus treats as, well, this is going to happen. So as I've been on my journey of trying to figure out, okay, like I see all these people that I care about or people that I meet that, um, that have stumbled, right? Or that are lost sheep or people that have 
known Jesus and seem to be walking away from the church. Um, it has kind of forced me to ask the question, okay, yes, what is going on in the individual level, but also what is going on in the corporate level? And so I was recently listening to a podcast, as I like to do, and the, there was two social researchers that were on this podcast, the Good Faith podcast, and they were talking about how in the last couple years, there has been the largest and most comprehensive study of de-churching ever commissioned. They were part of it. And on the podcast, they kind of broke down um, some, of the, some of the findings about this. And so I thought I would just kind of briefly share a couple of the things that they found, because I think it gives us insight into the reality that Jesus talk, is talking about here of stumbling. And it also gives us some insight into what it means to welcome. So um, here's the big picture. So in the last 25 years, 40 million Americans, 40 million Americans, or 12% of the population have stopped attending, stopped attending church, okay? So this is the, the largest concentrated change in church attendance in all of American history. But as I sort of dug into some of the results, and you can certainly find these online, um, there's a few things that are pretty fascinating. So one of them is that of all of those 40 million people who have stopped attending church, about a quarter of them, or 10 million, have left because of the, the woe to the person who caused it. So church hurt, basically. So 10 million have left because something went wrong where they were hurt. And I think that points to all kinds of abuse, right? There's church abuse that's due to racism, to sexism, political pushing, clergy scandals. A lot of people have left because the church has inappropriately used power and they're either hurt personally or they're just reacting to the, to the greater concern that they see. Um, but interestingly, three quarters of the people who have stumbled are actually more in the woe to the world category. Um, and are you ready for the number one reason that people have left church? It's because they moved. Yes, they moved. And what that represents to me is that there was just sort of a shuffle in their life. That I mean, we've all seen it, right? Like we have a change in our family, we have a change in our job. Um, in this case, you change cities or you change houses, and it just takes a little while to recalibrate. And one of the things that was most interesting to me about that was that of those people that had scattered or who had left the church, um, and even the people that had been hurt, the thing that they were most looking for was an invitation back into hospitality. That as the researchers talked to them and polled them, that those that were open to, to Christian community again said, hey, we really just are looking for two things. We're looking for healthy relationships and we're looking for a healthy local church. And as I listened to Jim Davis, one of the researchers, he explained that whether somebody left because of church hurt or whether they left because they just got busy or they moved or they had a baby or whatever it is, that really the invitation and the answer for the local church and the bigger church is to cultivate a culture of welcome. That as we meet people at soccer games, as we meet people in class, as we meet people at work, as we meet people at the grocery store, that we have an opportunity to extend a culture of welcome. And what that looks like is hearing their stories and as it's appropriate, inviting them into our lives 
and into our church. So I think that this is all related to what does it mean for us to be little children? That the answer to the woe is welcome. And the answer to welcome is by putting ourselves in that humble place that maybe we don't have our lives together and actually none of us do. I certainly don't. That maybe it's inviting people into our home even though we know that our house isn't perfect. Maybe it's inviting people into our home and sharing a little bit of our story to indicate that Jesus is the perfect one and that we aren't. And so as we move into the end here, I just have a few practical ideas um, that are related to a culture of welcome. So first of all, I just wanna give a shout out for those of us that are at Central Campus that benefit from the amazing hospitality brunch every Sunday. Talk about a spirit of welcome. And I just wanna encourage you um, in a couple ways. One, we're always looking for people to be in that team. So that's one way that you could contribute to a spirit of welcome. But two, um, I just encourage you when you come on a Sunday morning to sit down, to sit down at a table, to sit down on a couch, and to intentionally get to know somebody that you don't know. Maybe somebody that's new, maybe somebody that's not new, but just somebody that you don't know. And you can just ask questions like, well, don't say, are you new? Okay, because that's the temptation, right? But you could say, how long have you been coming to Harbor Cove? What brought you to Harbor Cove? Where do you live in the area? Just simple get to know you questions. And then the, the second point that I wanted to make, just in terms of a practical idea, is if you're feeling nervous about having somebody over or inviting somebody to coffee or extending hospitality in some way, um, I would just encourage you, spend a few minutes and just write down a few questions because I guarantee that people like to talk about themselves. <laughs> So if you can just come up with a few questions that are not about social comparison, but just simple things like, what do you like, what do you enjoy doing with your free time? Like, tell me a little bit more about your spiritual background. Um, those are the types of things that sort of level the playing field. Um, thirdly, I'd just like you to invite you just to take a step. That if you're nervous about having somebody into your house, invite them to coffee, invite them for a meal. If, um, if you are comfortable with having people into your home, or maybe you aren't comfortable, but you're willing, <laughs> I would just encourage you to not have it be about having a perfect house, certainly not about being ha having a perfect meal. Invite people to come over for pizza. Invite people into a potluck. Just something simple where it takes the emphasis away from entertaining and onto connection. And lastly, I just want to remind us that here at Harbor Covenant that we have four signature ministries. And as I thought about all four of those signature ministries, which are missions, missions agencies, um, they all very beautifully put into practice this art of welcoming the little one. Okay, all four of them have something unique about them where they integrate welcome into vulnerable people, whether that's the furniture bank of inviting people into their warehouse and helping them shop so that they can make their home their home, whether that's Camp Easter Seals of welcoming in vulnerable people for camp as a form of respite for parents, whether that is in Alaska, which is literally inviting vulnerable teenagers to hear about Jesus and to have a special week away, 
whether that's in the various things that the Cochrane's and YWAM India does and Nepal does to help people flourish, that you can get involved in any of those ministries. And this is a really practical way that you can put into practice welcoming vulnerable people. And all, information about all of those is available on our website. You just have to go to harborcove.church and then you need to go under ministries and then under missions. And Matt Knapp, our pastor of communications, has lined that all out nicely for you. And if you ever have any questions, you can always just email or call the church office. Well, as we close today, I just want to remind us that Jesus invites us both individually and corporately as a church to lower ourselves, to think outside of ourselves, to extend hospitality, to heal any rifts that might have come from the woes. Um, and he modeled that perfectly by sending himself by coming to the earth, by dying on the cross, and by rising again. So three questions for you today as we contemplate humility and also welcoming. Number one, where are you tempted to engage in status boosting? Climbing, climbing that staircase, where are you tempted to do that? Number two, who models welcome to you? So think about that, when have you been welcomed? And what did that look like and how is that meaningful? And question three, how can you put into practice welcome this week? How can you invite somebody to coffee, invite somebody into your home, ask a good question? What would that look like? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you want to grow with you in faith and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.